Welcome to the Success Road Podcast. This is the podcast where we meet at the intersection of your life, and then we take decisive action to move onward toward higher levels of success. My name is Joshua Rivers from PodcastGuyMedia.com, and I'm here to take you on this journey. Today, we get to talk with Emily Aries. She's the CEO of Bossed Up. She's an author, a speaker, and also the host of the Bossed Up podcast. And I was actually able to help her as she got started with her podcast and helped her produce the first 240 episodes of that podcast. And it's been a privilege to be able to work with her in all of that thing, all of those things there. And today we get to discuss pivoting during times of crisis and using a podcast as part of your marketing mix and having an advertiser on your podcast, as well as the unexplained, um, no, as well as the unexpected opportunities that can come your way from podcasting. Now, I realized that the last couple episodes, we've been talking a lot about using podcasting as a marketing arm of your business. And I think it's a very good and effective way of being able to utilize marketing and being able to uh, really work both your presentation skills and being able to help share your message with the world. And so podcasting is a great medium for being able to do that. And I actually had several of these people on my other podcast, Podcasting Experiments, but since there was an overlap between the podcasting and business and the marketing pieces that interlapped there, I felt it was, um, uh, I was thinking that it was a great fit to be able to share that over here on this podcast as well, which is why we've been going through this. And so without any further delay, though, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation that I had with Emily Aries. I started Bossed Up as a training company focused on helping women in particular really advocate for radical progress in their careers, whether it be a new job, a promotion, a pay raise, or just leveling up their own leadership skills. And I launched that back in 2013 in Washington, D.C. after I had, frankly, spent the bulk of my career up until that point as a professional advocate in the realm of politics, campaigns, and elections, where I got very good at advocating for other people and had to learn the hard way just how difficult it is, especially as a woman, to advocate unapologetically on your own behalf. So we have coaching programs, leadership accelerators, in-person training programs, and now I work with a ton of companies who believe in gender equality to really help further develop their women leaders. Well, I was thinking about getting this later, but you mentioned there about all the in-person type things. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. we're recording this in 2020, and that has been drastically changed for you. So how did you modify your business and then mm -hmm. like how does your marketing changed yeah. as far as that I'm so glad to just have an outlet to talk about this because let me tell you the small business pivot is no joke over the past eight years I'm very proud to have built up a pretty robust online community of women nationwide who are familiar with the brand and who kind of check in with us and listen to the podcast, which we'll talk more about, and are part of our online communities. So when we had to pivot, we had to essentially completely change our business model from a very practical standpoint, even before we thought about marketing tweaks. 
So in one single week in March of 2020, we lost almost $100,000 of already sold and won business that was projected for the year. So those are all of my in-person speaking contracts that just evaporated. All of our bossed up boot camps that we had planned for four different cities across the year, across the country, like we had to scrap everything. And that was about 100% of our projected revenue for the year. And meanwhile, I had just gone from being a solopreneur for about seven years to finally saying, 2020 is the year I'm going to invest in staff. I brought on two part-time contractors as full-time employees, January 1 and March 1, and then everything just evaporated. So as you can imagine, that was a very stressful and uncertain time, and I had no idea what we were going to do. But my priority was making sure I could make payroll, uh, and I had already sought out a line of credit to give us a little bit of buffer when I'm you know, when other people's livelihoods were depending on my ability to sell and produce things of value, I wanted to have that kind of buffer. So I said to the two full-timers that were now on my staff, okay, the cavalry's not coming. Our PPP loan that we did get from the SBA didn't even acknowledge my other staffers' salaries because as far as the IRS was concerned, I'd already filed my taxes for 2019 and there was only one employee on the books. So we had to figure our own way out of this. So we turned straight to our community and said, here's what we're thinking. How can we offer these services online? And in the past six months, we have rolled out and sold out three completely new product lines. The first is a job search accelerator program, which we happen to actually already launch March 1st. We just didn't think we'd do it as much as we do it now. We have five new people every single month joining job search cohorts, which is a weekly, very intensive, three-month-long job search coaching program. We now have a leadership development accelerator called Level Up, which is a six-month-long program that we sold out of the very first time we offered it in a matter of weeks, which was amazing. And now our third and final program that we just rolled out is called Speak Up. It's a professional development public speaking program that really helps everyday people own their voice, be more cogent, confident communicators at work. And it's all going incredibly well, Josh. So your timing could not be better in asking me that question. If I had answered it even four weeks ago, I would have sounded a lot more harried. But this is the first time I feel like since March, I can really breathe again and In fact, we just hired two new people. We brought on a total of three part-time staffers in the past two months and are looking to hire and expand even more. So we have a real turnaround story here. We still have a little bit of debt to deal with from those three months of basically not making any money while we figured out our pivot. But on the whole, my business, I think, is actually going to be stronger because of COVID-19 forcing rapid innovation into the digital space. And hopefully someday we'll be able to bring back our beloved in-person programs. But for now, we've actually been able to serve even more women than ever before. And I'm really proud of my team and I for figuring it out (laughs) as much as we have thus far. Yeah. So let's go back in time then to what made you decide that you want to use a podcast out of all the many things that you can be able to do to market your business, why did mm. you decide that podcasting was one of the things that you really wanted to jump into and utilize? 
You know, it's interesting because I'm seeing a pattern here, which is I've been forced to innovate a few different times. And I'm very grateful in retrospect that I was forced into the podcasting scene at first, not because of my own entrepreneurial spirit. I was pursuing Bossed Up, doing my thing, trying to make it work. And then I was actually poached and recruited by a very big podcasting network, How Stuff Works, out of Atlanta to take over the hosting job, just like a straight-up job, of one of their biggest, most exciting podcasts, Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is their feminist podcast that had 2 million monthly downloads. And it was just like, I was just handed this microphone. And I was like, okay, I got to choose my co-host, who ended up being a wonderful friend of mine I'd known for years, who was the perfect person for the job. And for a glorious nine months, we produced as basically a side hustle, like the side gig that I had, two well-researched feminist-themed podcasts every week. And it all came to a, a kind of dramatic close, actually, when the network was bought out by its, I think, sixth corporate acquisition in, in like nine years. That led to a management reshuffle, and they looked at our salaries and were like, who negotiated this contract, which was me. And they were like, whoever agreed to this amount of money that we're paying these people, no thank you. We're just going to have someone else in-house host it. See you later. So I kind of got the boot. And by that point, I was already in love with the medium. It's such an intimate medium. And at that time, it really wasn't used for marketing. It was just used for, that was my job, to produce entertainment uh, or infotainment. And so I'd been looking for a way to bring more professional development content to the Stuff Mom Never Told You show anyway. And I said, you know what? This should be its own show. And before I left, I launched my own podcast, Bossed Up. So that was what, 2017, 18? 2018 now. And what we realized is that I could continue to be generous, which is what I think podcasting really is. Be generous with what I'm giving while also reminding folks that, hey, you can, uh, you can also get more of, of where this stuff comes from if you want to opt in to any of my paid programs. So to me, it, it felt very much aligned with the whole philosophy of content marketing, which is give them something great for free. And if they want more of that great thing, then they're going to have to pay for it. And only a very minuscule percentage of the consumers of my free content ever convert to my paid programs, but that's okay. And that's probably always going to be the case. And I've just made peace with that. And it allows me to be liberated as a creator who also knows that she can make payroll. Mm -hmm. So, so you mentioned there specifically about content marketing, whatever, mm -hmm. and, but how tactically does mm -hmm. that look as you're actually implementing marketing or using the podcast for marketing? How does that actually look for you? Sure. It is like a compromise between our artistic desires and our business requirements. <laughs> so I have marketing director Kirby, who you know, who used to be my like intern and then was my podcast assistant. And she has just continued to rise in the ranks here at Bossed Up. Um, she and I are looking at the calendar as it relates to what are our sales goals? What do we have to get in the door in order to make sure everyone gets paid? So, oh, we'll have a Boss Up Bootcamp coming up, or in this case, post-COVID, 
we've got to fill a new cohort for our Level Up Leadership Accelerator. So we'll say, okay, we need to fill 20 spots by October 5th. That means we'll probably want to attract eyeballs and ears to our website who are interested in leadership development. So then the creative brainstorm begins with our podcasting team, which is just me, Kirby, and our assistant producer who we recently brought on, and say, what kinds of episodes would attract that client? How can we create fun, interesting, informative, and high-value episodes that also happen to, in a very timely and strategic manner, attract the exact target client that we're looking for? So then we say, okay, let's have an episode come out about being a middle manager and how hard it is to manage up as a middle manager. Or let's have an episode where I interview um, the host of the Harvard Business Review's Women in Leadership podcast about how difficult it is for women managers to be assertive without being seen as aggressive. We kind of brainstorm all the possible different interviews and podcast topics we could cover that would align with our sales goals. And then that's the topic that we hammer home for a couple of weeks. And now there are some exceptions to that because when things happen in the news that call for our attention, (laughs) we kind of stop the presses and say, we need to put out an episode on racial justice in America as workplaces, or we need to put out an episode about anti-racism or what's happening in this year's election. We're happy to bend the rules, but it gives us a little bit of thematic direction for the podcast. And then in the production of those episodes, we're coming up with great content that we know our specific target audience is going to want to hear. And then, of course, at the beginning or the end or even in a an advertising spot on the show, we'll say, oh, hey, by the way, if you want to level up your leadership, head to bossstuff.org slash level up to learn more about our new program. And it just feels like a natural extension that's already on topic. So it doesn't feel like it's coming out of left field. Mm-hmm. If we go back to when you first started the podcast, um, you you approached me and we worked together yeah, to be able to did. produce your podcast. I was doing the editing. For um, years. Thank you. It was awesome working with you. Yeah. But, but during that early time, when you started, it was just a weekly show. Right. And then I can't remember after a month or two, <laughs> You're like, hey, maybe we could experiment by doing a second episode during Mm -hmm. the week. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we'll see. We'll do this for a month or so and we'll see how it does now 200 plus episodes later. (laughs) Are you still going with that now? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm a glutton for punishment, though. I think it's a little (laughs) bit insane. I'm not sure I would recommend it. I don't know what the industry best practice is here because I know really successful podcasters who put out a podcast once every once in a while when they feel inspired. And I, I'm i like, what? How does that work exactly? So here's the thing. We started our own show. We had no idea how to do it because I was spoiled at my big cushy networking or network show job where everyone else did everything for me. And I was just talent. So when I started working with you, working with Kirby, I said, let's just try one show a week. One month in, I was like, we can do more than this. <laughs> And we need to up our downloads if we want to attract advertisers, which is a whole other thing. So I said, let's just double the content volume. But instead of two episodes that are full interviews every week, which are very cumbersome from a scheduling and production standpoint, and the editing, I'm sure, is harder 
why don't we just give the listeners what they really want, which is a quick tip, a quick five-minute monologue where I'm sharing a story, a takeaway, a best practice. And even as of late, we have delegated and hired out the hosting of those boss tip episodes, as we call them, to some of the other brilliant women in the Bossed Up Trainer team. So now it's like, why does it even have to be me? It doesn't. So we're thinking, what does our audience really want? They want interviews, sure, with specific takeaways, but they love those boss tip episodes that are short, sweet, to the point, and super practical. So yes, to answer your question, we're still proceeding in that direction. However, I don't know if I would recommend it. I don't know how sustainable it is. It is a lot. (laughs) And part of the reason we went in that direction was a strategic choice around advertising. Because Mm -hmm. in order to make even any revenue come in from an advertising standpoint, you really need bigger download numbers than what we were getting with just one episode a week. And so one really fast way to double our numbers, more or less, was to double our podcasts. So I think creating more space for advertisements is part of the reason we've increased our our volume. And now, honestly, I think part of the reason we we brought the whole production in-house is because if we can really consolidate production of the podcast around everything else that's happening in the business and around my insane schedule, we can create a ton of great, valuable content and stay ahead of the timeline. It's just, it's a management challenge more so than a, a creative one. I could podcast forever. I love this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned there about the advertisers mm. and I was definitely going to get there because that's obviously one way and maybe a big way that some people look at it and when they look at a podcasting, oh, I'll just yeah. do this and I'll get advertised. But it's not always as easy as, oh, I'll just get advertisers right. as, as you stated there because you need to have some sort of baseline of numbers to, to be able to show. Right. So how did you approach that? Are you reaching out to all the different advertisers or are they now come to the point to where they're reaching out to you or how is that working? This is one of the areas of my business model where I feel a little squishy around the the pluses and minuses, the, the pros and the cons. Because we work with an advertising agency because I do not have time in my day of, by the way, I'm not a full-time podcaster. I'm a CEO. <laughs> like the podcast is one part of our marketing strategy and I love it. But running a business is just, there's so much more to it. So I don't have time to answer emails from prospective advertisers or, God forbid, to even seek them out. So we really outsource that right off the bat by working with, in this case, True Native, which is an advertising agency out of L.A. And they're only interested in us after we could prove we had a certain amount of downloads. And I think it was like 40000 a month or something like that. I'm not sure what the size is these days for advertising agencies are looking for. And then they come to us saying, here's a client that's interested in your show. We have a very niche market. I don't know why ambitious women are considered a niche market, but apparently they are. And there's a lot of advertisers that are specifically interested in our demographics, which is like 95% women. Many of them are urban oriented. Many of them are in their 20s and 30s. And so, or urban dwelling, I should say. So we just have a population of women that advertisers covet. So they'll come to us and 
We'll say yes or no based on how much I love this brand or not. And we'll say to True Native, here's five brands I love. Go get them. Make this happen because they would love us if they just knew we existed. And we're able to record ads that feel like a good fit, pop them into our, our show in a dynamic way now. And it feels to me like I'm giving my listeners these like great deals. Because nine times out of 10, it's, listen, girl, I've got this hookup for you with Green Chef, which I'm now obsessed with. And like the best thing I've done for myself since COVID hit was stop forcing myself to become the chef of the house and just outsource that shit and get a box of delicious fresh groceries with easy to follow recipes I can just hand my husband every day. Here's a coupon code for $80 off your first month. And it feels, again, like a very generous form of marketing when it feels aligned. Now, have I made mistakes in the past of partnering with companies and brands that ended up not fulfilling customers and not being actually as good of a fit as I thought? Yes. But on the whole, it feels like a very genuine type of partnership. But I'll be honest with you, I don't, I still don't know to this day if it's worth the time. Because just the time of researching the brand, figuring out if they're a great partner fit, reading the the copy that they send over, recording it, editing it, uploading it, inserting it. We don't make that much money. We don't even break even. You know, it's this chicken or egg conundrum where if your show gets bigger, which is our new goal is to really try to grow it. You know, if your show gets bigger, then those numbers start to make more sense. But we've just been happily plugging away at a mid-size show level or even modest size show level, not having any kind of astronomical growth. So the conversion to my paid programs is way more valuable to me than the conversion to the ads. So it's just a, it's a time management puzzle because I'm not always convinced it's worth it because we just, we don't make even enough money to cover the cost of my editor. <laughs> so it's like, why are we doing this? You know, it's just a little extra cash that comes in to offset the pretty robust amount of time that it takes to produce a great show. And that's my thing is I don't put just anything out there. It's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I could definitely attest to the the quality level that you put into it. I don't know how many times that we, we would go back and forth. It's yeah. like I would do an edit and then you and Kirby would, would go through and it's, oh no, we need to move this and take this out here. Let's put this one over here and do this. We just wanted to keep you on your toes. Well, well then there was also somewhere it's like, you listen through it. And it's like, eh, that content was actually as good as we thought it was. And so we either put it to the side or we yeah. cut like a whole bunch of it and just have yeah. just a little sliver of it. Not and that so, any of my guests have ever given terrible interviews by any means, but yes, if it's not no, good, yeah. it'll sit on the shelf and we'll be like, there's got to be something better we can come up with than that. I think that's true for my brand overall. I have grown my company rather slowly, but on the fact that I didn't have huge investment of cash by any means, I just had consistent high standards for what we put out in the world, free or paid Like it's all got to be good. And so I think my reputation in that way is the best investment I could have possibly made in my business so that when your entire business model implodes in a week, you can turn to this community who you've built so much trust with, who we have like tens of thousands of women on our list and in our community writ large because they've come for the consistent excellence you've been putting out. And then you can turn around and say, what else would y'all pay for right now? Because we're about to go broke. (laughs) And they'll help make things better. So 
I am reaping the rewards now of eight years of hard work. And the podcast is just an extension of trust building that I think happens faster than any other medium. The intimacy of listening to someone's voice and feeling like you're not alone and you're with them and they're your pod pal, as I call them. It just, it happens so much faster that I can prove myself trustworthy to other people, which is great. That's like business 101, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to talk about was you also wrote a book in the (laughs) midst of all this. So what connection does the podcast have with the book? Interesting question. Interesting connection. Okay. So I landed my book deal because my editor at Hachette is a huge podcast fan. So she's just one of those people who is constantly poaching podcasters to become authors. And it was a very organic partnership. I'd been approached a couple of other times before, but I just wasn't ready. Like I couldn't find the time to write a book because I didn't have much of a business model. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know what the hell I was going to say. So I had to be patient with the universe and be like, oh my gosh, if I say no to this right now, because it does not feel aligned with what I'm doing, I hope it comes back. You know, I hope I get another shot at this. And mercifully, I did. And when Colleen reached out, I said, let me take you out to lunch. I'll come up to New York. Let's see if we like each other. And she was like, this is great. I think podcasters are the perfect people to buy or to write and sell books because what is a publisher really looking for? Someone who can sell their book. And if you have a great relationship with tens of thousands of people who tune into your podcast, some of them are going to buy your book. And so what I got out of my relationship with Colleen, my editor, was she's a brilliant writer and an excellent editor. And so once again, it felt like the right partnership. And I'm all about teaming up with people in the way that makes the most sense. So she approached me because I was on Stuff Mom Never Told You. And then I I remember before we signed our contract, I had already found out that I was not going to be on the show for much longer. And I had an ethical dilemma, which was, okay, I'm meeting up with her to talk about my manuscript, uh, which I was, I would been working on for a year anyway. And so we were packaging it in a way to pitch to the, the rest of the publishing team. I actually, this is a much longer story I've podcasted about on, on my podcast, but I <laughs> skipped having a book agent and just worked directly with my editor and pitched the, the publishing house directly. So I had a meeting set up with her to go out for drinks or dinner or something when I was in New York for a corporate training. And I had just had to level with her because I would have felt so disingenuous if she had thought she was signing a How Stuff Works podcaster. I was like, Colleen, I have to tell you, it's possible that I won't be on this podcast for very much longer, but here's my plan. I said, I'm launching my own show. I'm telling everyone on the air multiple times on the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast about my new show. I'm still technically a podcaster. It's going to be great. And I'm going to write the hell out of this book for you. You know what I mean? And thankfully that honesty paid off. And she was like, no problem. Let's just get you this book deal. Let's make this happen. And we ended up being a great team of writing on my end and then editing on her end. And just like podcasting, I blocked out my time. I said, I'm going to take four weeks. I'm going to front load the podcast by pre-recording as many episodes as I possibly could and then take four weeks off to do nothing but write. And I was able to finish most of the book in that four-week 
40 hours a week writing sprint, which was a little insane. That's how I roll. <laughs> and that time was like the shining without the, the frigid snow and yes. the psychotic episodes. I don't know. Maybe yes. there were psychotic episodes that happened. Uh, that, it was very <laughs> idyllic. I was very fortunate to have uh, my in-laws needed me to house sit for them. And they happened to live on a gorgeous farm in rural New York state. So I watered the horse and fed the horse every morning and scooped out the the horse stables and then got busy riding and then took an afternoon stroll hike and then came back to riding. So it was very idyllic and I was totally spoiled. And I'm happy to say the book has, has been a beautiful extension of the podcast. It consolidates all of my key learnings while profiling 15 other women who've bossed up in their own and how they've advocated for their own career progress. And now it's such a great welcome to the podcast entree. The book is how a lot of people discover me now, and the podcast is how a lot of people discover the book. So they just work in a beautifully symbiotic way. Well, excellent. So if people want to get more about you or reach out to you or find out more about what you're doing, your business, your book, your podcast, any of that, (laughs) what would be the best way for people to do that? Definitely find and subscribe Bossed Up, my podcast, wherever you're listening to this one. It's everywhere. The book Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together is on Amazon. It's probably at your local booksellers. It's at Barnes and Nobles. You can find it all over. But the best way to get involved is just to go to bossedup.com and sign up for our emails there. You'll be invited to our free online community where women really lift as we climb. So delighted to have time to to recap everything with you, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be able to do that. So thank you very much. Thank you.